the title of this podcast is Yesterday the World Ended. What you need to do today. And remember that I see you while I'm speaking. I may not see you physically, but I do see you spiritually. And I see you as a happy warrior, or alternatively, as a happy warrior wannabe. You're trying to be a happy warrior, and that's in every way as good as being, because the title of happy warrior is not something you achieve at the end of having listened to 27 Rabbi Daniel Lappin shows. No, it's an ongoing process. Each and every day is another opportunity to improve our happy warrior capabilities and to burnish our happy warrior credentials. Yes, uh, we embrace the struggle of improvement, improvement in every part of our lives. What we don't do, however, is dedicate ourselves to making the world a better place. Because you have to remember that that is so vague and nebulous and ultimately so dangerous. Don't forget Karl Marx believed implicitly that he was making the world a better place. (laughs) Maybe not for everybody. Um, Mao Zedong, who took China on the long march and and, and who caused the, the deaths, the painful, horrible deaths of tens of millions of Chinese people, thought he was making the world a better place. Stalin thought he was making the world a better place for everyone except the 30 million Russians he killed. And so making the world a better place, terribly dangerous. And uh, I cringe when I hear speakers at events, particularly for young people, graduations and so on. uh, Well, your task today is to make the world a better. No, it isn't. Cut it out. All the trouble in the world is caused by people trying to make the world a better place. Don't do that. Try and improve yourself, not the world. Please, please leave the world alone. Just try and improve yourself, and the rest of us will be so grateful to you. Look, um, recording this at the end of the the turbulent week when the uh, American... um, capital was invaded. And I'm not going to go into the details. I'm not going to now discuss uh, the comparisons between how the uh, the fires that were set in Washington, D.C. this summer and the, uh, the destruction of property and how that compared to this. I will say only this, however, that I suspect, you know, call me paranoid if you like, Call me mean and nasty if you like, but I suspect that part of the deep indignation and anger expressed by members of the House of Representatives and members of the United States Senate at the outrage that took place on Wednesday, January the 6th, how could they do it? I suspect that it was because it was their property that was damaged. People had the audacity to go into their offices and sit in their chairs and scribble on notes on their desks. But in the summer, it was other people's stores that were being destroyed and looted. And it was other people's houses that was being hurt. And it was other people that were being beat up and and assaulted in the streets. And it was other people's property that was being ignited. And under those circumstances, oh, it's so easy for a nation's politicians to preach restraint. After all, they're only protesting and systemic racism in the country. We understand all that. But now that it's your property, it feels a little different, doesn't it, guys? Let's not even deal with that for now, uh, because the fact is that uh, I know how you feel. You feel unmoored and unsettled, and you're asking, what will the next two weeks be like for Americans? 
What'll the next few years be like for everyone around the world? After all, America still exercises a disproportionate influence on what happens everywhere around the world, right? Look, these are all very legitimate questions and very legitimate feelings. But what is not okay for happy warriors is to allow these feelings and these questions to paralyze you into immobility. It may be perfectly natural to feel that you can't deal with work, you can't think about ordinary work and everyday matters because, after all, the United States capital was invaded for the first time, and you can choose whatever number you want to put in there for years. Maybe it was the Kavanaugh hearings, maybe it was the Puerto Rican invasions, maybe it was 1812 and the British. I don't care. Put in whatever you want, but, but it's very natural and perfectly normal for you to be saying, how can I think about business? How can I think about my child's education? How can I think about the way my grandchildren are being raised? I can't think about those things because the world is coming to an end. Do you know what happened this last week? And so I, your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, that's me, I'm here to reveal, as always, how the world really works. And that is that you don't yield to those feelings. Yes, I know, the world came to an end. I get it. It really did. It did. I'm not disputing it. The world came to an end on uh, during this week. And, um, and I understand that. And I understand that it's perfectly natural for you to feel that you can't think about anything. Your head is being consumed by worrying about what's going to happen to our democracy and what is going to happen to this grand experiment of the American Republic. It's perfectly natural and perfectly normal, but stop it. That's right. Happy warrior, cut it out. These are all legitimate feelings for you to have. I get it. And they're good questions to ask. But you've got things to take care of. And this is no excuse to shirk off from the things that you know you ought to be doing and doing them when you know you ought to be doing them. And so I want to help you by giving you an avenue of understanding. I want to help you get a sense of what is going on and what you can do about it. It's made up of three fundamental points, okay? Here comes point number one. Are you ready? <laughs> you want to write it down? Go ahead. This is not the first time the world ended. Okay, there it is. I've told it to you. That's point number one. This is not the first time the world ended. What is he talking about, I hear you saying? Well, just think about it. There is time for me to only address a few of the truly hundreds of instances that the world ended. But you're going to get the idea. Basically, the world is still here. Basically, you are still here. And so let's walk through a few times when the world came to an end. Well, it was 10.30 p.m. on the night of August the 4th in 1914. And at 10.30 that night, in a large room in Buckingham Palace in London, three men stood in attendance to King George V. And King George made the pronouncement that as of 11 p.m. that night, in the next half hour, Great Britain would declare war on Germany. That is what happened. And the world ended, but the world is still here. A second example. I'm only going to give you five examples, but you can really come up with many more if you choose to. Uh, you know, Maybe you need to help somebody else explain what we're discussing now. So you'll come up with, if you find more appropriate examples, it doesn't matter. Basic point is that the world ends quite often. Uh, the world ended at 8.45 a.m., this one, many of you, some of you will remember. 
at a quarter to nine on a clear, blue-skied Tuesday morning. It was the September the 11th in 2001. And at a quarter to nine, an American Airlines Boeing 767, loaded with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel, crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York. And the world ended. But we're still here. I'll give you a third example. It was five minutes to eight on a Sunday morning. December the 7th, you know the year, 1941, a Japanese dive bomber suddenly appeared over Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and it was followed by so many more that the sky seemed black with Japanese planes carrying the Rising Sun logo. And what began was a merciless assault with bombs and guns and torpedoes. About a half an hour later, and it was 1.30 p.m. Washington, D.C. time, about half an hour after the attack began, President Roosevelt is in a room in the White House conferring with his advisor, Harry Hopkins, who played such a huge role in um, America getting into the war and supporting England. Uh, and um, uh, Roosevelt and Hopkins are talking in the president's study when uh, Frank Knox, who was the secretary of the Navy at that point, bursts into the room without knocking and announces that Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor. Half an hour later, the uh, attack was over. The whole attack was just about an hour. The attack has vanished and in one horrible hour, it was all over. Yes, the world had ended. But we're here. Fourth example. And I, I just picked these. These are just ones that, that relate to me, but uh, or that I, I, I think about a lot. But, but you can pick your own because the world has ended so many times. I'll tell you, uh, for about half of America's population... The world ended on January the 20th, 1993. That was when William Jefferson Clinton became president. And many, many Americans, uh, conservatives and those leaning towards conservative, many not very political people who just had a certain sense of what America was, felt the world had ended because the man and woman who had become co-presidents of the United States of America, Hillary Clinton, um, this was the end of everything, and it was. The world ended. But it was still there on January the 20th, 2009, when Barack Hussein Obama became president. And once again, for many, many people, both in America and elsewhere, the world ended. And by the way, Please understand, in all of these examples, I am not mocking. I am not being sarcastic at all. The world did end. The world as it was up till that point did end. It is true. And I will tell you, it'll probably end again on January the 20th, 2021, when Joe Biden, or perhaps Kamala Harris, becomes president of the United States of America. The world, as it was, will end. But we'll still be here. All right, final example. I mean, one could carry on, but we don't have time. The world ended at 12.30 p.m. That sunny Friday afternoon. It was November the 22nd in 1963 when three shots rang out in Dallas and President Kennedy was dead. So point number one I want you to absorb today, and this really will help you because it's only natural for you to be feeling somewhat dislocated, somewhat concerned, where are things headed, what's going to be happening. It's perfectly normal and, as I say, perfectly natural. But just spend a few minutes dwelling on the fact that this is not the first time the world ended. 
There have been a number. I've given you five examples, right? Uh, de declaration of World War I, 9-11 um, and the terrorist attacks, Pearl Harbor, uh, the election of Bill Clinton and the election of Barack Obama, and uh, the Kennedy assassination. Those are examples when people, many people, felt the way you are feeling now. Okay, let's go on to point number two, shall we? Point number two is that every time the world ends, it results in huge changes, particularly in the lives of ordinary citizens, people like you and me. The huge changes are far less in the lives of the powerful, the secure, and the well-placed. The changes are far less so in the lives of bureaucrats, elites, rulers, the wealthy, government employees, including those in education. And so, yes, point number one is the world has changed. The world has ended many times. Point number two is that every time the world ends, it is accompanied by very real changes. And part of point number two that I'm afraid I have to add is that these changes are almost inevitably and almost always in the same negative direction for most ordinary citizens. Things get badder, not better. And, um, and so we have to absorb this idea. We're still here. But no, things are not as good as they were before the world ended. It really is different. And so I think that um, it would be helpful if we just glanced for a brief moment. And again, these are things you can easily discuss with your family, discuss with friends, discuss with work associates, if, if you want to, because I'm only giving you a particular overview to, so as you've got the idea, you've got the principle, Right. Point number one is the world's ended many times. This is just one more time. Point number two, a little more serious, which is that every time the world ends, it's associated with big changes. And unfortunately, the changes are almost always worse for most of us. And so uh, uh, I'm going to do something I, I very seldom do on, on the show, but uh, I'm going to read from a, a wonderful book of history um, written by a man called A.J.P. Taylor, a British guy. Uh, he's no longer alive, but um, he wrote a book called English History, and the volume I'm looking at is 1914 to 1945, and it's got 752 pages. So I'm not recommending it. But I'm just letting you know that I'm at this point. I'm going to start reading, not talking. It's only for a few minutes, so um, don't don't go away. Uh, okay, here's the opening of his book. Here's how um, the uh, English history 1914 by to 1945 by A. J. P. Taylor uh, opens. Until August 1914, a sensible, law-abiding Englishman could pass through life and hardly notice the existence of the state beyond the post office and the policeman. He could live where he liked, as he liked. He had no official number or ID card, identity card. He could travel abroad or leave his country forever without a passport or any sort of official permission. He could exchange his money for any other currency without restriction or limit. He could buy goods from any country in the world on exactly the same terms as he bought goods at home. For that matter, a foreigner could spend his life in this country without permit and without informing the police. Unlike the countries of the European continent, the state did not require its citizens to perform military service. An Englishman could enlist, if he chose, in the regular army, the navy, or the territorials. He could also ignore, if he chose, the demands of national defense. Substantial householders were occasionally called on for jury service. Otherwise, only those helped the state who wished to do so. The Englishman paid taxes on a modest scale, um, nearly £200 million in 1913-1914, or rather less than 8% of the national income. 
The state intervened to prevent the citizen from eating adulterated food or contracting certain infectious diseases. It imposed safety rules in factories and prevented women and adult males in some industries from working excessive hours. The state saw to it that children received education up to the age of 13. Since January 1, 1909, it provided a meager pension for the needy over the age of 70. Since 1911, it helped to ensure certain classes of workers against sickness and unemployment. This tendency towards more state action was increasing. Expenditure on the social services had roughly doubled since the Liberals took office in 1905. Still, broadly speaking, the state acted only to help those who could not help themselves. It left the adult citizen alone. All this was changed by the impact of the Great War. The mass of the people became for the first time active citizens. Their lives were shaped by orders from above. They were required to serve the state instead of pursuing exclusively their own affairs. Five million men entered the armed forces, many of them, although a minority, under compulsion. The Englishman's food was limited and its quality changed by government order. His freedom of movement was restricted. His conditions of work prescribed. Some industries were reduced or closed, others artificially fostered. The publication of news was fettered. Streetlights were dimmed. The sacred freedom of drinking was tampered with. Licensed hours were cut down and the beer watered down by order. The very time on the clocks was changed. From 1916 onwards, every Englishman got up an hour earlier in summer than he would otherwise have done, thanks to an act of Parliament. The state established a hold over its citizens, which, although relaxed in peacetime, was never to be removed, and which the Second World War was again to increase. The history of the English state and of the English people merged for the first time. Got it? And in so many ways, that parallels what happened in America. It also reminds us of the line um, by Saul Alinsky in his book, Rules for Radicals, which was accepted by Rahm Emanuel, chief of staff to President Barack Hussein Obama, in which he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Always seek to expand government's grip on the people. And a crisis is a marvelous opportunity to do it in because people will accept it unquestionably. Does this suggest anything about coronavirus and COVID and lockdowns? If you think so, then you and I are on the same page. And so, yes, uh, in August 1914, King George V declared war on Germany and England went to war and the world ended and huge changes came about. As a result of that war, there were really a lot of young women who never got married because of the decrease in the number of available young men. So yes, the world ended, but they're still there. We're still here. And were there changes? Yes. Did it become better or badder? Became much badder. And that's what happens every time the world ends. Okay. Um, you might remember the second example I gave you was 9-11, the terrorist attacks on America. The changes, uh, you, you know what they are, changes in how we travel. Um, if you don't have a clear recollection of what travel was like before that, you're probably better off because, for me, every time I got on an airplane now, I bristle with anger and resentment at the style of travel. I dislike the aggressiveness of the TSA. Yes, that's right. There was the creation of a huge new federal bureaucracy, an intrusive bureaucracy. That was one of the negative changes when the world ended on 9-11. Uh, taxes went up. Uh, all of a sudden, there were new taxes on travel, by the way, to fund the TSA. Uh, there were new intrusions into private life. Uh, what Americans had known of privacy, much of that evaporated. Look, uh, any one of you could sit down now to write a long, learned paper on how much life changed on September the 11th. And I bet you can't think of a single way in which life changed for the better. It changed for the better. 
but we're still here. Uh, the third example I gave you was Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor took young men from schools, farms, and fields across America to the blood and thunder of Europe and the Pacific. And it brought them back, in some, some of them back, in, in cases damaged, in some cases with their youths behind them. Uh, Pearl Harbor took women from the security of home and hearth into the harsh factory environment. Huge changes to life in America. None of them for the better. But we're still here. I gave you uh, the example of how the world ended in 1993 when President Clinton became president and in 2009 when Barack Obama became president. Huge changes. I mean, you know what some of the executive orders of both those presidents were. You know how America changed. You know what Clinton did to the military and the armed forces. Uh, you know what President Obama did to race relations in America. Look, I, I, none of it was good. The world did end, rightly, as I said, when uh, Bill Clinton became president and when Barack Obama became president. But, and you know what I'm going to say, we are still here. Uh, the fifth and final example I gave you was uh, President Kennedy's assassination. You could really have an interesting conversation with your family around the dinner table of how might America look different if President Kennedy had not been assassinated? Uh, Vietnam might have gone completely differently. No Lyndon Johnson. Um, the, the whole revolutionary overturning of traditional values. All of everything that happened in the 60s might have gone differently. And nothing is better. But, all right, when I say nothing, I realize some of you are going to, oh, wait, what about this? All right, fine. Pretty much everything is better, not better. But, and you know what I'm going to say, we are still here. And so that concludes point number two. Okay, point number one was the world has ended many times, not just this week. Point number two is that when it ends, there are big changes and none of them are for the better. And um, and we're still here in spite of that. Uh, granted, uh, there is no question life is probably for most people uh, more difficult after the world ends. But we are here. And that brings us to the final point, point number three. Point number three is, of course, so since life is going to go on for most everybody, we should do what we should do, All right? So there you got it. There are the three points. Let's give example. Let's talk about what these things are. Well, you know that they are the five Fs, are they not? They are the five Fs of finances, family, faith, friendships, and fitness. Those are the things. And so the point you've got to realize is, yes, life goes on more challengingly in many cases, but it goes on. And for you to now be distracted from your priorities because the world has ended yet again just doesn't make any sense at all. In a certain way, and for some people, um, allowing yourself to be distracted into gloomy thoughts about what's happening and where's this going to go? Oh, is the President of the United States of America going to hand over power peacefully? And why is he not going to show up at the uh, inauguration? And what is this? All of this stuff is really uh, an indulgence. You're, you're letting yourself be distracted from what you ought to be doing uh, by wallowing in these gloomy thoughts absolutely no good at all can come of this. So don't indulge yourself. Uh, don't allow yourself to be distracted from what you really ought to be doing by, uh, I say, like wallowing in all of the stuff. You know, what is going on? Doesn't matter. You know, if you must read the news, read the news. If you want to watch it or listen to it, do it, but not all day, because don't forget, 
you know, what newscasters really ought to say is, hi, there actually has been no news. Nothing has happened since I last spoke to you five hours ago. So I got a good idea. Why don't you go and take care of your work and I'll see you back here on the channel in about four hours time. I'll let you know then if anything's been happening. But that's not what newscasters do, is it? They keep prattling and blathering away onwards and onwards and onwards. No dead time. That's the word in the industry. No dead time. And uh, the idea is to sort of keep you listening. Coming up after these messages, we'll be talking with, for an exclusive report to the man who was right there when it went down. Oh, come on, really? So you're now going to waste another 10 minutes of your life listening to it again? Not worth it. And so point number one was the world has ended many times. Point number two is, yeah, I grant things get better when the world ends. There's no question about it. And it's going to do that now, too. Point number three is life goes on and we're still here. And the key thing is to stay focused on doing the things you should be doing. So let's review them, right? The five F's. But we're going to review them with a particular eye to the current circumstances, to this ending of the world. So let's start with fitness. Um, you, you must now not emotionally, but intellectually analyze the implications of COVID-19 for you and for everyone in your orbit. Think about it. Given your age and your health, uh, along with what you decide are whatever the infection probabilities are for you or how symptomatic you likely would be uh, and your probable recovery factors, weighing all of that up intellectually, not emotionally, how much of your life force and how much of your creativity do you want to deliberately and purposefully forfeit to this whole insanity? So, look, um, it's, it's, it's got to be weighed up. It's different for different people. It's different for people in different countries and different states. Uh, but figure out how much of your life you're letting this take over. Because one thing you have to remember and that is governments always overstate emergencies and crises. Remember the rule, never waste a crisis. That is the, the slogan of government growth. So be aware of that and just decide how much of your life force and how much of your creativity is going to be sapped by COVID itself, but more importantly, the government overreaction to it and your response. You've got to figure that out. It has to do with your fitness and you've got to make a deliberate decision. And so here we are at the beginning of 2021. Do that. Next, improve the care you take of the vessel that God gave you to function in. Right? That's your body. Take extra special care of your body now because times are likely going to be a bit tougher than they were because remember the world just ended and when the world ends things change and when things change it's never for the better so things are going to be a bit tougher and you do need to be able to take it so uh, just start looking after your body and the bodies of those you're responsible for uh, a little more than you've been up till now you're going to need your strength um, you're you're going to need your vitality and your creativity and your abilities and your good cheer. And all of that is so much easier to marshal when you are feeling on top of your physical game. So now would be a good time. And I'm not talking about, you know, January the 1st and New Year resolution. This goes way beyond that nonsense. This is a cold clinical analysis of what lies ahead. And... Um, and knowing, look, you are going to deal with it. You can deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it, of course, with all of it. And it would be helpful for your body to be in as good a possible shape as it can be during this period. So fitness, yeah, absolutely. Rethink it. Rethink what you're going to do about that uh, starting today. Uh, second F, friendships. Now, when I say second F, by the way, uh, do you remember last week's podcast on socialism? The last, the most recent podcast, not actually last week's because it was released on December the 18th, on uh, that last, December the 18th, 2020, yeah. 
uh, the last podcast, I spoke about how the five F's are found on a circle. And I showed you how to do a 5F diagram, essentially a five-pointed star or a pentagram within a circle. And I showed you all of that last week. So uh, I'm going to fitness now, but there's no particular sequence to the ones I'm presenting you today. So we dealt with fitness. We're now going to friendships. Look, I think here's the most important thing to remember when it comes to the friendships part of your life in this current iteration of the world coming to an end. Stop trying to pretend that politics doesn't matter and that we should all just be friends. Or in the immortal words of motorist Rodney King, who you might remember was very much involved in the 1992 Los Angeles riots, in which, by the way, the world ended for many Angelinos who are still there, or perhaps they've just moved to Texas or Nevada, But as Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? Actually, no. It's high time that we all recognize that we're no longer one nation under God, indivisible. It's simply not true. Uh, Far more similarly to the 19th, mid-19th century, we are actually two nations living on one piece of real estate. Obviously problematic, But, um, you know, and maybe the world will end yet again. No reason to think it won't. It keeps doing that. The world just keeps ending. It just does. And um, uh, does it get better? No, usually not. But we're human beings. We can cope with it. And since nobody listening to me can even remember, uh, possibly remember the days, right, who where people could travel without passports and where we Americans were respected wherever we went. No, we don't remember that. And so it is what it is, and we accept it for how it is, and our children and our grandchildren will grow up. And that's why, you know, you often have the stereotypical joke of the, the, the grandpa saying, oh, things are, are not as good as they used to be. You should only know how good things used to be. And he's absolutely right, of course, but it, it sort of it sounds funny and it's comical and uh, and it's a little curmudgeonly. But to his grandchild, the world's fine. It's what he grew up with. It's what he's used to. And this is a very real aspect of what being a human being is. We do get used to almost anything, particularly if we never knew anything differently. Then it's even easier to get used to it. It is. That's all there is to it. It just is. And so. Uh, uh, one of the big changes, caused not necessarily just by this week's world ending, but it might have been the world ending of um, of 2009 when uh, President Obama took office or even before that. Uh, but one of the results of one of the recent world endings is that um, America is a deeply divided nation. And we're not divided over how people like decorating their homes or whether people prefer Ford products or General Motors products. No, this is deeply felt distinctions. Uh, we, We translate it into political differences. But then the danger is that many of us say, listen, politics isn't everything. My friendships will always endure. Stop fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. Politics is nothing more than the practical application of people's most deeply held beliefs and values. So please don't think that people who are conservative just happen to be that way because of the breakfast cereal they like eating, or that people who are deeply committed to the Democratic Party are, you know what, I guess just because, you know, I, I suppose my parents and my grandparents liked Franklin Roosevelt. No, we're way beyond that. And so just get used to it. Just accept that it is hard, if not entirely impossible, to maintain real friendships with someone who disagrees with you on fundamental issues. What are some of the fundamental issues I'm talking about? Well, these are some of them, okay? If you disagree with somebody about the origin of life on earth, then it's very difficult to maintain a friendship because there are so many implications. If you believe that we're on earth because God created us in his image and put us here, and someone who used to be your best friend is absolutely convinced that we're here on earth because primitive protoplasm over millions of years, over huge time periods, 
transformed entirely by itself in a random and unaided manner into uh, higher life forms, you're not going to be able to retain a meaningful friendship with that person. I mean, you don't believe me. I know you don't believe me because you're saying, oh, he doesn't know what good friends we've been. Fine. Why don't you call me in six months' time or write me an email in six months' time and tell me. If you disagree on abortion, okay, it's not going to be possible. Just realize you're going to need new friends. You need friends who share your values. That's part of what a friend is. Um, if you disagree with somebody about whether the basic element of society is a family or it's an individual, it's going to be tough to stay friends with that person because there are going to be increasingly more issues you can never discuss with them for fear of offending. Um, if you're friendly with somebody who believes that the ultimate source of good is government and you happen to believe the ultimate source of government, gov uh, of good is God, you're not going to be able to be friends. Or maybe your friend has decided the most important source of good in, in, in the world is the United Nations or some other human-made institution, and you believe the source of all good is God, you don't have the basis of friendship, so just realize it and save yourself a lot of pain. Um, if, you, uh, if you happen to believe that America was an exceptional country and somebody else believes it isn't and it never was, hard to be friends. Um, if you believe that Israel is a barometer of international morality, how countries view Israel this, in, the, in this day and age is a fairly good idea, place, a, a very good indicator of where they stand in terms of international morality. And the other person is, says, no, uh, Israel um, stole land. And so, you know, the usual uh, life. You're not going to be able to reach a friendly solution to that. Um, if you happen to believe that male-female relationships are best fulfilled in a monogamous relationship we call marriage, and that that is absolutely the best environment in which a child can be introduced to the world, and there are other people who say, no, that's just one, not necessarily the best, but there are many other optional ways that it can work, you're not going to be able to be friends. I wish I could tell you something else. Believe me, I love being filled with uh, unicorns and rainbows. I like bringing happiness and good cheer wherever I go. But that, sadly, is not to be the fate of your rabbi. I have to tell you how the world really works. And the way it works is just stop trying to pretend that these things don't matter and your friends will always be your friends. It's just not how it happens. Uh, if values are not shared, friendships come and go. If some people um, change, abandon old values and adopt new values, uh, somebody embraces faith, somebody rejects faith, it doesn't mean your friendship lasts forever. It doesn't. Find new friends. Make new friends. Easier when you're young than when you're older, but it can be done. It has to be done. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, for those friends that you do have, with whom you do have enduring connection and shared outlook on life, you're lucky enough to have friends like that, beef up those friendships cherish them, appreciate them, thank them, and seek opportunities to help them. So um, that's uh, fitness and friendships. Let's go to faith. Look, uh, is there a war on faith in America today? <laughs> of course there is. What's there to talk about? When all kinds of places can be open by government edict in New York and California, just not churches, yeah, I'd say there's a war on faith. So those of you who have already recognized the fundamental human need for connection with the Creator, go ahead and recommit to that. Get together with like-minded people in ways that you all consider acceptable from a health point of view and from a public relations perspective, meaning, you know, what will people say if they see you together? Uh, with or without masks, whatever you decide is good for you and your orbit. And, um, and, and just get together with these like-minded people to reinforce your faith and your connection to God within your connection to one another as well. What if you're somebody who feels no connection to God? 
What if you're somebody who says, yeah, you know, I'm not religious. That's usually what, what people like saying. Well, it's simple. Uh, if you are at least open to the idea that unbeknownst to you at this point in your life, human beings actually need connection to our creator like we need oxygen, uh, then I can tell you what to do about it. If, on the other hand, you, you have already made a deliberate decision that you do not want faith in your life, then certainly that's, you know, good luck to you. Uh, that's uh, a freedom you have. But for those of you who have no religious connection, but are not sure that's a good idea, who are at least open to the possibility, hey, maybe a connection to God actually does enhance life in some way that I don't yet fully understand, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do, all right? Here's what you should do. It's simple. Not easy, but simple. Set aside on your calendar, and I mean really, write it down in your in your paper calendar or put it on your Google calendar. Put down a 20-minute appointment once a week for the next few weeks, maybe three or four weeks. Set aside a 20-minute that is unassailable, a 20-minute appointment that cannot be pushed aside because something busy cropped up or something else urgent cropped up. Make this urgent and important as well. And then when that uh, time arrives, take yourself into a stimulus-free environment, right? That means uh, a private room, doors shut, no other people in the room, no other devices, no phones, no, no anything, no television, no radio, no nothing. And for that first week, week number one, devote this secluded private time uh, to nothing more than reflection on whatever gap you, deep in your heart, perceive between what you are and what you could be. Now, please know this is not a beat-yourself-up session at all. Don't do that. Uh, this is not a time for deep regrets. No, please just contemplate your current potential. No matter how old you are physically, this is the action of a person with a young soul. So, just sort of think about yourself. Think about what your guardian angel, if you like, who knows your potential, what he thinks or she thinks as she looks down gently and kindly on you. So maybe you don't even see a path to what your heart is telling you that you could be. That's also fine. Because for this session, just focus on where you are and who you are compared to not what you could have been this is not a time for painful regrets, but what you still could be and what you could still accomplish. Try think in terms of what you are rather than what you've done. So this isn't a catalog of achievements, but this is in terms of your own human greatness. You know, what are you like in terms of courage? What are you like in terms of optimism? What are you like in terms of kindness and compassion to people and generosity? Uh, what are you like in terms of honesty to yourself and to others? In all of these qualities that make a person somebody, uh, courage, did I say courage? Yeah, right, you, things like that. And just weigh up, you know, do you see shortcomings in yourself? Okay, fine. And this isn't a time to sort of determine how you're going to change or that you should change, but simply it's self-introspection. Just look into yourself, not achievements, not things you still want to do, not your bucket list, but just the kind of person you've become, the kind of person you are, and asking yourself, is this the kind of person, have I reached my limit in terms of my human potential? That's all. That's what to do for the first week, maybe two weeks but certainly the first week. Uh, 20 minutes, first week. And um, if you're interested, I will be happy to share what should follow in, ver in week two, three, four, and five. But yes, uh, this is a program for people who do not feel a connection with God, but would like to. And there's certain steps to go through. It's very simple, by the way. Uh, you know, if, if somebody would come to you and say, I don't know how to get a better relationship with uh, my wife, and you happen to be somebody with a lot of marriage experience, you might well say, look, I'm going to tell you, if you really want to know, I'm going to walk you through several steps. Well, that's all we're doing here. You want to know, if you've asked me, what, how do I build a better relationship with my creator, and you want to, then I'll tell you what to do. It's not hard. Uh, it's, not, it's not complicated. 
but it takes a little bit of doing, particularly when there'll be so many instances that'll crop up where you'll say, you know, I think I'll take this time off my calendar. I really need this 20 minutes for something else. I'll plug it in somewhere else. You'll find yourself very relentlessly tempted to do that, but, you know, avoid it. It's a serious commitment. Brings us to F number four, uh, and that is family. Look, Whenever the world ends, and as I've said, it ends many, many times regularly, most people live through more than one world ending. Uh, you really do want family. So if you're already someone who is blessed with family, work on it. And here's something specific to think about. Sculpt your family's boundaries, because boundaries are what build identities. By defining what we're not we discover what we are. So do that for you and your family. It's a wonderful program. It's a wonderful exercise. But you sort of think about where are our limits? What are the things we don't stand for in this family? And that helps everyone home in on what things we do stand for. And so now that the world's just ended, um, it's a good time especially with it being the beginning of a year. It was very convenient that the world ended now because, uh, you know, beginning of a year is a nice time to start re-sculpting your family. So you, you really could work on family now to good benefit. Um, the connection between siblings, um, connection between spouses, you know, really. I mean, you really need to ask yourself, how could I be a better spouse? It's a simple question. But we're usually, most of us, too busy all the time to actually ask ourselves, uh, in what way did I drop from my standards, what I believe the way a spouse should behave, how did I drop from that in the last, you know, six months or whatever? Um, so not what my spouse could do to improve, but what could I do to be a better spouse? What could I do to be a better child for my parents? Anything? Nothing? Come on. All right, so... Uh, so you're lucky enough to have a family. Look at ways that you could improve yourself, your role in your family, and ways in which you could help your family have a, a tighter and more inviolable connection. Um, if you're without family, not yet uh, having built one, then now is really the time to do so. So if, if you happen to be a guy who has failed to find and commit to a lifetime with a woman, then you need to know that you can make a go of it with almost any woman. Whoa, how could he say that? Oh, I can't believe that. I know somebody who married a woman and made a terrible mess. Oh, what a bad... Yeah, that's true. But that wasn't because he picked a bad woman, it was because he wasn't a good man. And I don't mean he was a bad man. I mean, he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, you know, do you think only bad people get into car accidents? No. Good people also sometimes text while they're driving. Good people also sometimes lose concentration. Good people also sometimes just don't see the car coming from the other direction. Yes, it happens. Because you've got to know what you're doing and you've got to be focused on it. And you've got to be doing everything you possibly can to make sure that you are consciously and purposefully working on what you're supposed to be doing. So if, if you're a guy, um, you know, of a certain age and you've not yet started building your own family, um, time is pressing and it's really important that you get onto that. And um, you can really find liberation in understanding the truth of this principle, that you are not looking for a needle in a haystack. You are not looking for the one girl destined for you since the stars began to shine. Get used to this idea. You need a woman. You need a wife. You're looking for a girl who is pretty in your eyes, but not necessarily sexy or glamorous, and definitely not a girl you are looking at through the eyes of your family and your friends. Hey, is she striking enough for their eyes to pop out of their heads? No. Um, and above all, you're looking for a girl who is feminine and sweet. Right? See how she behaves around babies and children. 
And if she isn't that, if she's been damaged by the culture and she's been hardened by the culture, but she really wants to be that woman, she really wants to be a wife and a mother, this can also work. Ladies, hello, ladies, I'm speaking here only to the guys. Please don't you link your life with a guy who isn't yet, but says he wants to be. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, you need to spend time with this girl, spend time with her talking, not doing other things together, talking. You can even use the phone, not even, better use the phone. Don't be distracted. Talk to her for many hours. If you happen to be a woman who maybe has left it a bit late and now you really feel ready for marriage, please realize That if you're lucky, you're probably going to be finding a guy you wouldn't have looked at when you were in your early 20s. He just might not be the hottest looking guy in the world. He might be a bit older than you would have selected then. He might even have a few miles on his tires. He might have been married already. He might not be making a lot of money, but he is ambitious and he is good. And that means that he has a proven moral compass. Ladies, pay only 20% attention to what he tells you, and 80% of your attention should go to his life track record up till now. Scrutinize it and scrutinize his friends. If you happen to be an older person, man or woman, do your best to ask yourself in an open-minded way, What could you be doing now to diminish your loneliness? What are the options open to you? But whatever they are, each and every one of you, no matter what position you're in, it is now time to recognize the world has ended, but you're still here, and now is the time you need family more than ever. And that means if you don't yet have, if you have not yet started building your family, do so already. And if you have, then polish it, make it shine, fix it here and there, give it a dash of paint, do whatever's needed, do some maintenance work, devote time to your marriage. It doesn't just happen by itself. Devote time, attention, and energy to raising your children. Please don't think it's the job of the geek to take care of your children. It isn't. They're taking care of the teachers' union. So be aware. The geek is not responsible for your children. You are. You are responsible for your marriage. So all of these aspects of family, don't be distracted by, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, the world is coming to an end. Oh, do you know what happened in Washington, D.C. the other day? No, come on. Let's be serious. Let's be adult about this. Please stick with the things that you really should be doing now. And uh, right there, number four, of course, was family. Uh, Number five is naturally finances. And here I have to tell you that... uh, Uh, There is a great deal of material that I have written and prepared for you in both book form and in video form, and uh, you will see all of that on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. I'm not going to spend a lot of time now on the finances one, just because it's there's so much to discuss there. But I will say that it's never too late to start saving if you haven't done that. It's never too late to start getting rid of debt. If you have, it's never too late to start accumulating. Um, Consider adding to your income, right? Think about that and talk to people about it. Uh, Can you add a second revenue stream to your life? How about a third revenue stream to your life? It's not impossible. People do these things. But you may have to expand your vision a little bit and extend your creativity. But no matter what take care of existing business. Don't forget the fact that something happened in Washington, D.C. last week is no reason at all not to be taking care of business. 
any more than it was in the summer when they were looting and rioting and lighting fires and breaking windows. Uh, that also wasn't a time to neglect business. Got to take care of business. So watch out for your finances, my friends. Watch out for your family. Watch out for your faith, your friendships, and your fitness. And all of that will, I do believe, prepare you for carrying on in this new world, the world of change. And uh, I hope not. I hope it, it doesn't happen, but it probably will. Yes, there'll be another end of the world. <laughs> It'll come, not tomorrow, not next year, but at some point the world will end yet again. But you will be in good shape for it because you will have been taking care of your five Fs. So remember the three points. This is not the first time the world has ended. It happens often. Number two, every time the world ends, there are huge changes, particularly in the lives of us ordinary people, uh, the powerful and the wealthy and the secure and the well-placed and those in government. Uh, they don't really notice it so much. It hurts us much more. And remember, the changes are almost always negative, never better, but uh, always better. And point number three is life will go on and therefore you must do what you must do. And you know that for happy warriors, that means taking care of the five Fs. You know that as well as I do. So take care of it. And uh, we've got a week of exciting creativity and possibility and potential. There's so much you can achieve this coming week as you focus on developing your faith, your finances, your friendships, your fitness, and yes, your family. So till next week, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, wishing you a great week. God bless.